president persuading a person to commit perjury would be obstruction. Is that right? Yes. Yes, you could do it there, Bill Barr. I knew you could. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountain on KKRN, and in Eureka on KGOE. On the central coast of Oregon on KYAQ, in Cottage Grove on KSO, in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Goldendale, Washington on KVGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial outlets. We also stream on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio and Detour Talk, Blanketing, Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. I think this was the White House today. We need time to get out of here. Create a diversion. <laughs> yes. Does that sound about right, Desi Goyen? <laughs> yes. It sounds like that almost every day with them. Well, it does. But uh, today especially, uh, a, a diversion not just from the ongoing record-long federal government shutdown, uh, which is just slamming uh, Republicans and Trump, according to public opinion polls right now, not to mention all of the Americans that it is actually hurting as uh, he demands five point seven billion dollars for a southern border wall. Uh, but also from the blockbuster news from BuzzFeed on Thursday night. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, his diversion today, well, it seems like there's a couple of them. Uh, one just breaking before airtime uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, he announced that he was going to hold another summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un next month. Donald Trump was. Good luck with that uh, at both not being bamboozled again by the North Korean leader as Trump was last year when uh, he thought he had uh, Trump thought he had solved the issue of the North Korean nuclear weapons uh, on the uh, Korean peninsula. But also good luck in diverting attention today from Trump's quickly devolving presidency and what is looking more and more today like the very real possibility of impeachment. The other diversion that uh, Trump is uh, clearly trying uh, out today, he announces there will be a major, quote, major announcement on Saturday. 
Regarding the uh, partial government shutdown and what he calls the border crisis. So he's trying to avoid the big news today. I don't know if it's working. Here's that big news. President Donald Trump directed his longtime attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about negotiations to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, according to two federal law enforcement officials involved in an investigation of the matter. That is the blockbuster news today from Jason Leopold and Anthony Cormier at uh, BuzzFeed last night that is rocking D.C. today. And maybe, just maybe, changing the outlook for the possibility of impeachment of Donald J. Trump today. BuzzFeed reports that Trump also supported a plan set up by Cohen to visit Russia during the presidential campaign in order to personally meet President Putin and jumpstart the tower negotiations. Quote, make it happen. The BuzzFeed's sources uh, said that Trump told Cohen. Uh, Leopold and Cormier were the uh, ones who broke the story last May at BuzzFeed that Trump had been working on that deal with uh, Russia, that uh, Trump Tower deal in Moscow, far into the 2016 campaign until June of 2016, which is much longer than had been previously reported to or admitted uh, by the uh, admitted to by the president who claimed over and over and over again before, during and after the election that he had no business dealings whatsoever with Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. So, I mean, I have nothing to do with Russia. I don't have any jobs in Russia. I'm all over the world, but we're not involved in Russia. I have no deals in Russia. I have no deals that could happen in Russia because we've stayed away. We could make deals in Russia very easily if we wanted to. I just don't want to because I think that would be a conflict. She always likes to tie me in with Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia, folks. I have nothing to do with Russia. I have John. John, how many times do I have to say it? Are you a smart man? I have nothing to do with Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. How many times do I have to answer this question? Well, uh, you can keep answering it. It would be nice if you told the truth every now and again about it. But uh, even as Trump told the public he had no business deals with Russia, BuzzFeed sources said Trump and his children, Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr., received regular detailed updates about the real estate development from Cohen, whom they put in charge of the project. But the biggest news here is that, according to these two law enforcement sources who are not named in the report, so for now this is all presuming that their sources are good, uh, Trump essentially suborned perjury and obstructed justice by instructing Michael Cohen, his former personal lawyer and fixer, to lie about the entire matter to federal investigators and to Congress. Cohen pleaded guilty in November to lying about the deal in testimony and in a two-page statement to the Senate and House Intelligence Committees. Special counsel Robert Mueller noted that Cohn's false claim uh, noted that his uh, false claim that the project had ended in January 2016 was an attempt, quote, to minimize links between the Moscow project and individual one, uh, which is known to be Donald Trump, uh, in hopes of limiting the ongoing Russia investigation. That's from Special Counsel Robert Mueller in some of those sentencing documents from last year. Now, the two sources 
have told BuzzFeed News that Cohen also told the special counsel that after the election, the president personally instructed him to lie by claiming that negotiations had ended months earlier than, in fact, they actually did in hopes of obscuring Trump's uh, Trump's involvement. Uh, Desi Doyen, remember, uh, you're old enough as am I, to remember the Bill Clinton era when Republicans had sort of turned themselves inside out at the time uh, uh, concerning charges that Clinton had instructed Monica Lewinsky to lie to federal investigators. Remember that? Oh, yeah, they used to care about such things. And it was an impeachable offense back then. I wonder if Republicans will manage to remember that or if somehow we'll have to start pulling up old clips to remind them of it. Uh, In any event, the uh, special counsel's office learned about Trump's directive for Cohen to lie to Congress, according to BuzzFeed, through interviews with multiple witnesses from the Trump organization and internal company emails, text messages and a cache of documents. Cohen then acknowledged all of that during his interviews with the special counsel. So if BuzzFeed is right there, this doesn't actually rely on Michael Cohen's testimony. He was basically just asked to confirm this other information. That's a huge point right there. Yeah. Does not rely on Michael Cohen's testimony. But the special counsel reportedly has documents and multiple witnesses to back all of this up. So Cohen does not need to be relied on here. He is set to testify publicly, at least as of now, uh, before the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform on February 7, uh, in what was already going to be a blockbuster hearing. And now I suspect it will be even more uh, blockbuster if if it happens. Uh, earlier this week, Michael Cohen had said he has concerns now about this testimony because he's being, well, harangued by the president publicly, uh, who is calling on uh, you know his family to be investigated, Cohen's family now to be investigated. And uh, he had said he has some concerns about that. So we'll see if that actually goes through. If that testimony, that public testimony actually happens next month in response, White House Deputy Press Secretary Hogan Gidley made his disdain for BuzzFeed and Michael Cohn clear on Friday in response to this new report. But when pressed, even by Fox News today, Gidley did not actually deny it. This is absolutely, absolutely ludicrous that we are giving any type of credence or credibility to a news outlet like BuzzFeed. They are responsible completely and totally for the release of a discredited, disproven, false dossier. You're whatsoever. saying the president did not tell Michael Cohen to do that? I'm telling you right now, this is exactly why the president refuses uh, to give any credence or credibility to news outlets, because they have no uh, ability to corroborate anything they're putting out there. Instead, they're just using innuendo and shady sources. That was not a denial of my question. No, the, the, but, but, but the premise is ridiculous. We're also talking about a person in Michael Cohen who, quite frankly, has now been proven to be a liar. He self-admits that he's a felon. So to give him any credibility, it just doesn't warrant any response but, but from that, the White House. The ha- huh. The, uh, the, the premise is ridiculous. The premise that uh, Donald Trump would have ever instructed anyone to lie is just ridiculous, says Hogan Gidley, the, uh, I guess, one of the new spokes 
liars for the White House. And it's kind of remarkable that the Fox News anchors were not really happy with him not answering their question. No, they said that is not a denial. So no denial. And, of course, an attack on Cohn as a liar. And, yes, he has admitted to lying, Cohn has, uh, to Congress and to prosecutors. And he's facing three years for that in jail. But, A... He says the president directed him to do so in this matter. And B, BuzzFeed says, at least, that there are multiple witnesses from the Trump organization and internal company emails, text messages and a cache of other documents so that we don't have to rely on Cohen. Perhaps that's why the White House did not want to give a direct denial there, because they're worried about what the prosecutors may actually have as far as documentation for this. Uh, As to his shot, by the way, uh, Gidley's shot there at the Steele dossier, it has not been, quote, discredited, disproven, or shown to be false, as he claimed. So just saying it doesn't make it so, Mr. Gidley. And yes, it was BuzzFeed, which initially published that now infamous dossier, uh, in full after others had publicly reported on its existence. Uh, and that federal investigators were examining it as part of their probe into Trump and Russia. Democrats, meanwhile, in Congress on Friday, vowed to aggressively investigate these new allegations that Trump personally directed his uh, former attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about the Moscow project. Congressman Jerry Nadler, a Democrat of New York, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, said his panel would, quote, get to the bottom of the allegations. He said in a tweet, We know that the president has engaged in a long pattern of obstruction. Directing a subordinate to lie to Congress is a federal crime. The House Judiciary Committee's job is to get to the bottom of it. Congressman Adam Schiff of California, chair of the House Intelligence Committee, also said that his panel would do, quote, what's necessary to find out if it's true. He said in a statement on Friday, these allegations may prove unfounded, but if true, they would constitute both the the subornation of perjury as well as obstruction of justice. He said our committee is already working to secure additional witness testimony and documents related to the Trump Tower Moscow deal and other investigative matters. In his uh, in his own first public comments on the report, Donald Trump on on Twitter Friday. Quoted a Fox News reporter, guy by the name of Kevin Cork, saying, uh, quote, this is what Cork was saying, quote, don't forget, Michael Cohn has already been convicted of perjury and fraud. And as recently as this week, The Wall Street Journal has suggested that he may have stolen tens of thousands of dollars. Now, he's quoting Cork saying this in the Wall Street Journal story about stealing tens of thousands of dollars. What he's talking about is Donald Trump's, at least the story we covered on our previous broadcast, Donald Trump's attempt to rig online polls back in 2015 as he was preparing to run for president. Apparently, he paid my he paid Michael Cohen fifty thousand dollars for that effort. Reportedly, Michael Cohen only uh, spent thirteen thousand of it on the uh, guy who was supposed to do the actual online rigging. 
So it's kind of amazing that Donald Trump would even want to mention that at all in his tweet. But that would require forethought. Yeah. Yeah. And and he's quoting from that Fox News reporter saying that, I guess. Uh, and then Trump added in his own words about Cohen lying to reduce his jail time. But notably, Trump did not offer his own actual denial of the story. Uh, several other Democrats uh, inside and out of uh, Congress were raising the specter of impeachment if, in fact, this story proved to be true today. A lot of folks were talking about that, uh, including Eric Holder, uh, the former attorney general. Uh, who is looking at a potential 2020 Democratic presidential bid, he said, if true and proof must be examined, Congress must begin impeachment proceedings. And Barr, talking about William Barr here, uh, the uh, Trump's attorney general nominee, Barr must refer at a minimum the relevant portions of material discovered by Mueller to Congress. Uh, He says, Holder says, this is a potential inflection point. Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse seemed to agree, uh, tweeting, quote, if this is true, this is this is plain slam dunk criminal obstruction of justice. And he cites the uh, section of the uh, of the U.S. Criminal Code, uh, subordination of perjury, conspiracy and likely aiding and abetting perjury. Several Republicans on Capitol Hill sought to deflect questions about the BuzzFeed report on Friday. Oh, I suspect they did. Early Friday afternoon, after Trump had failed to deny the allegations on Friday morning, Trump's attorney and uh, notorious liar in his own right, Rudy Giuliani, issued a flat denial of the BuzzFeed story, saying, quote, any suggestion from any source that the president counseled Michael Cohen to lie is categorically false. He, too, went on to uh, try and disparage Cohen, charging that today's claims are just more made-up lies born of Michael Cohen's malice and desperation in an effort to reduce his sentence. So we don't know if BuzzFeed has the story right or not at this point, but it sure sounds like Amy Klobuchar may have the senator from Minnesota may have known something about this was coming earlier in this week when she was asking questions to Trump's new attorney general nominee, William Barr. Barr made comments at those hearings this week about hypotheticals that sure sound an awful lot like what Donald Trump did reportedly when he told Michael Cohen to lie to Congress about the Moscow Trump Tower deal. Based on his testimony, uh, Barr considers actions, at least as described by BuzzFeed, to be obstruction of justice. Here's his exchange with Amy Klobuchar. You wrote on page one that a president persuading a person to commit perjury would be obstruction. Is that right? That, Yes. Okay. Or any, any, well, you know, any person who persuades another. Yeah. Okay. You also said that a president or any person convincing a witness to change testimony would be obstruction. Is that right? Yes. So he was pretty clear about that. Yeah. Seems to me. And it was not just Democratic uh, senators, uh, in this case, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, uh, who was able to get such an admission from Barr. In a similar vein, Republican 
Senator from South Carolina, Lindsey Graham, the new chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he asked if it would be obstruction of justice if the president coached a witness not to testify or to lie, and he asked if it would qualify as obstruction if the president tried to hide evidence. Barr answered affirmatively in both cases. So if there was some reason to believe that the president tried to coach somebody not to testify or testify falsely, that could be obstruction of justice. Yes, under that, yeah, un- under an obstruction statute, right. yes. So if, if there's some evidence that the president tried to conceal evidence, that would be obstruction of justice potentially, right? Right. right. Oops. Uh, it's getting hot in here, it seems to me. <laughs> the uh, noose is getting tighter and tighter. And uh, Lindsey Graham may, uh, well, you may resent what he uh, said during those uh, during that questioning. But then again, Lindsey Graham is on record from back in the Bill Clinton impeachment saying a lot of the same stuff about Bill Clinton and saying that was reason to impeach a president. He may regret that. All right, let's take a quick break, and we will come back with uh, some good news today on the voting rights front in a federal court in Wisconsin and out of the new Democratic Secretary of State's office in Michigan. Those stories are next with the successful plaintiff uh, from the Wisconsin case from One Wisconsin Now. Joining us next on the broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate and thanks. I'm headed to Wisconsin, 2,000 miles to go. Madison, Milwaukee, sets my heart ain't Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last November, thanks to record turnout in the great state of Wisconsin, Democrats won every statewide seat on the ballot. Voters rejected Republican Governor Scott Walker's bid for a third term, replacing him with Democrat Tony Evers and the Democratic candidates for attorney general and secretary of state, not to mention reelecting Democratic U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin by a whopping 11 point margin. Heavily adding to turnout last November was early and absentee voting in the Badger State, with more than half a million Wisconsinites casting ballots in uh, 2018, setting a new record for early voting turnout uh, for a midterm election, according to the Wisconsin Election Commission, with particularly strong numbers in the Democratic strongholds of Madison and Milwaukee. Democrats also did well at the state legislative level, with their candidates taking 54 percent of the votes statewide. Yet, thanks to extreme and, according to federal courts, unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering by Republicans in the legislature under Scott Walker, Republicans somehow managed to uh, win two thirds of the seats 
in the state legislature in 2018 to retain their majority in both of the chambers. In December, as Scott Walker was on his way out the door to be replaced by the incoming Tony Evers, Republican lawmakers called an extraordinary lame duck session of the legislature in order to quickly institute a series of laws described by Democrats as a desperate power grab to transfer powers from the executive mansion to the legislative branch in hopes of preventing Evers and incoming Democratic Attorney General Josh Call from exercising, you know, the will of the people upon taking office. GOP lawmakers quickly, with literally no warning to the electorate, none of this stuff had been discussed or debated during the campaign, they quickly produced and passed a number of unprecedented power grab bills for Walker to sign just before leaving office. But it wasn't just Evers and Call who were being stripped of their powers, it was also the voters themselves. Among the bills passed by the legislature and then quickly signed by the outgoing Walker was a measure to severely restrict early voting to no more than two weeks in every jurisdiction across the state. That, after Madison and Milwaukee's early voting period, had been as long as six weeks previously, leading to an outbreak of, you know, voting in the progressive enclaves. Republicans argued that was unfair and that no county should have more than two weeks for early voting. That, of course, is plenty for rural GOP-leaning districts, perhaps, but it does not meet the needs of the higher-populated, Democratic-leaning urban areas. A similar 2016 GOP attempt to limit early voting had already been struck down as unconstitutional by a U.S. District Court judge, in a case brought by the nonprofit good government group One Wisconsin Institute, which, along with uh, former U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder's National Redistricting Foundation, successfully sued to block the 2016 version of the law. So the GOP tried again last December during the astonishing lame duck session power grab by the GOP that month. Uh, and we spoke on this show at the time with Annalise Eicher. She's one of the named plaintiffs in the 2016 case from the Wisconsin, from the uh, One Wisconsin Institute. That was before Walker ultimately signed the new lame duck version of a similar measure, leading the group back to Judge James Peterson to once again block the supposedly new version of the law restricting early voting as Hopefully, they argued, similarly unconstitutional. The measure also placed several restrictions on the type of IDs that voters may use to vote in the state. On Thursday, Judge Peterson released a blunt five-page ruling in the case, characterizing the matter as, quote, not a close question. Joining us once again today to discuss the new ruling is the plaintiff from the original lawsuit, Annalise Eicher of the One Wisconsin Institute and One Wisconsin Now, where she works as a program and development director. Annalise, welcome back to the broadcast. 
I am happy to be back. Thank you for having me. I guess you are. You got some good news uh, this week. Uh, we got some wonderful news this week. You did. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, so what did uh, James, uh, Judge uh, uh, Peterson decide here in this case where you were trying to once again block these restrictions on early voting? Uh, Yeah, so, uh, you know, the minute that former Governor Scott Walker signed um, this bill into law, our amazing legal team um, at Perkins Coie that was, you know, supported by the um, National Redistricting Foundation Mm -hmm. group, um, they, you know, filed a motion to enforce uh, the previous injunction right away. And, you know, just last week we had had to make some filings, and we were anticipating that, you know, it might be a little bit before we hear from Judge Peterson, but just yesterday, um, you know, Judge Peterson, as you said, came out with a a pretty blunt and and forceful ruling in our case that says, you know, what you tried to do with these bills in the lame duck session uh, was exactly what you did, uh, you know, that Mm -hmm. I ruled unconstitutional in 2016, and it was unconstitutional in 2016, and it remains unconstitutional today in 2019. So this is wonderful news, um, you know, not just for us as an organization, but for democracy and for voters across Wisconsin, and we could not be more excited. Yeah, the decision came really quickly, uh, and the judge, as I said, said it was not even a close call, and he rejected the argument from uh, Republicans uh, pretty decisively, but they claim that there were distinctions, that there was a difference between the two measures, the one passed in 2016, found unconstitutional, and the one passed in the lame duck session in December. Do you have what were the distinctions? Uh, I know the judge said that they were pretty much the same, but what were what were the Republicans claiming was was different about these two laws? The, the really the only thing that they were claiming, um, you know, was different um, was that they would essentially allow for 24 hours of voting. They weren't putting a time restriction on it. Uh, they were, you know, just simply putting a, a day restriction. Um, and so in in response to that, uh, Judge Peterson said, you know, you're imposing restrictions on the uh, ability for um, communities and municipalities to schedule their early voting hours um, and I said you couldn't do that, and here you are doing it again. Uh, and he also added that you can't just write essentially the same law, pass it, put a different number on it, and think that it's going to be different this time. Um, yeah. So that was a, a, a big victory um, for for us and, and you know, for, for clerks across the state and communities across the state, and, you know, who... You know, and it, and it wasn't just Madison and Milwaukee who took advantage of, um, you know, being offered a, being able to offer voters um, the type of early voting that they need to meet that need in their communities. Um, you know, this was a, a statewide thing, and that's a big victory for all of us. Uh, especially when you consider that Republicans are always saying, well, we, you know, we believe in small government. We believe in local control. The uh, people on the ground know best. Here they were trying to restrict the hands of the uh, local county clerks uh, to b- decide what best meets their constituents. Uh, Annalise, with uh, a Democratic attorney general now uh, in Wisconsin, Josh Call, and, and Scott Walker now gone, who was actually representing the uh, the state in this case? That is a great question. Um, you know, and I think a number of the uh, attorneys that were originally on that case, um, you know, have 
have moved on. Um, some are still there. And so at this point, um, it, you know, that is not 100% clear. Um, but, you know, what is clear is that this is a, a victory for voters, and it's something that, you know, both our new attorney general and our new governor, um, Josh Call and uh, Tony Evers, respectively, um, are are supportive of, of of our municipalities being able to um, administer elections in the way that they see is best fit for their for their towns. Now, Judge Peterson also struck down restrictions from the uh, from the December law on the use. This is, I guess, the the supposedly new version of the law. Uh, he struck down some of the restrictions on the use of student IDs for voting and temporary IDs uh, for voting. Uh, explain those provisions and, uh, as you understand it, his his basis for uh, for blocking those as well. Sure. So uh, the other two pieces that they passed uh, during the lame duck session were saying that uh, student IDs, if you use a student ID to comply with the photo ID requirement here, it has to have a two-year expiration date on it. This is something that James Peterson um, or Judge Peterson had previously struck down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by passing it yet again, it was just another example of them going against his 2016 uh, ruling. So they were trying to enforce something that they were told by a court that they could not enforce again. Uh, and the same thing with the, um, with the photo ID mm-hmm. uh, receipts for voting. Um, so right now, if you uh, go through the ID petition process because you lack certain documentation to get a free ID, um, they still give you an ID, and the state legislature um, said we only want that receipt to be valid for 60 days. Uh, And two years ago, Judge Peterson said that that receipt actually has to be valid for a lot longer than that. Um, And so he, again, um, you know, struck down what they tried to do in the lame duck session and said that those receipts for voting um, for folks who need the free ID to vote to comply with the law um, have to be valid for 180 days. Yeah, we've covered over the years the uh, difficulty that many have had uh, since the uh, since the state passed its photo ID law, the difficulty that many have had trying to get IDs in the first place. And yeah, in theory, after they apply for this ID, they're supposed to be given a, a temporary receipt that could be used for voting, uh, and that was the question there. Happily, that was uh, struck down. The GOP attempt to restrict those was struck down as well. Uh, Eric Holder, former U.S. Attorney General, who's, who's a group to fight partisan gerrymandering, uh, issued a statement after the decision on Thursday saying today's court ruling is a victory for the citizens of Wisconsin and a rebuke to their defeated former governor and his cronies in the state legislature. Every voter in the state should be asking one question. Why are Republicans in the Wisconsin legislature so afraid of the people they claim they want to represent? Now, obviously, that's a rhetorical question, um, but it's one that I'll sort of ask you anyway here. Walker and the GOP uh, legislature held pretty firmly onto power for eight years uh, there. Donald Trump reportedly won uh, Wisconsin's electoral votes in his 2016 presidential race after decades of Democratic presidential wins there. Was the GOP's attempted um, efforts in December 
Do you see that as uh, simply little more than a power grab uh, to limit voting uh, at this point? And if so, uh, why is this happening? The wind, it seems, should have been at their back at this point, no? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, and one of the things that we've learned um, and, and have noticed and tracked here at One Wisconsin Now over the past, uh, you know, essentially all of Governor Walker's, um, you know, tenure, mm-hmm. which is thankfully over, um, is that when the Republicans here don't like the results of the elections, uh, they seek to change the rules. Um, you know, one of the first things that they did when they came into power in 2010 was make it harder for people across Wisconsin um, to vote. Uh, that's when they implemented photo ID, they cut early voting, they, um, you know, made it harder for folks to register to vote. Uh, after President Obama won in 2012, they made even more restrictions um, to, to voting in Wisconsin. And so, you know, their move to restrict voting even further, despite the fact that a judge told them, you know, back in 2016 that they can't do this, um, after they lost statewide here, um, you know, in 2018, it, it wasn't surprising to us and it wasn't out of character um, but, you know, I think this ruling yesterday um, from Judge Peterson just shows them that this is not their government anymore. This is the people's government. It always has been the people's government. And they need to stop trying to infringe on people's rights, especially the right to vote. If you can't beat them, restrict them, I guess, is the uh, seems to be the model, mot- motto for state Republicans there. Uh, Annalise Syker, this case, um, uh, this decision on on, uh, on Thursday and I guess the original case from 2016 uh, is is still under appeal at the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. It's been sitting there, as I understand it, a very long time. Uh, so ultimately, this decision uh, both what happened this week and the 2016 law itself could be uh, could be overturned. Any idea what the disposition is with that appeal, and when a uh, when a decision might be expected? Is this going to be a surprise change that we suddenly see before the 2020 election? That's a great question, um, and something I unfortunately don't know the answer to. Um, our appeal uh, and the state's appeal and an appeal from um, the ACLU in another case on voting in Wisconsin that they had filed was heard by the Seventh Circuit, by a three-judge panel in the Seventh Circuit, um, actually back in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's the beginning of 2019. We haven't heard anything from the court. Um, But right now, you know, we are, you know, prepared to move ahead to keep fighting the fight for voters um, and to make sure that, you know, regardless of what happens, um, you know, we are standing up for the right to vote, um, you know, whether it's in state court or federal court um, or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. wherever we need to be, um, you know, we will be there. I, I, I ask about that because I'm, I'm concerned. The Seventh Circuit, uh, as I'm sure you know, has a history of being, and I'll, I'll be nice here, uh, very conservative on uh, voting matters. Uh, in, it was that court that actually struck down, I think it was the same Judge Peterson's very clear finding that Wisconsin's original photo ID voting restriction uh, several years ago, uh, the Seventh Appeal uh, Court of Appeals struck down Peterson's ruling that it was blatantly unconstitutional, that it would suppress the vote of legal voters. 
Um, and in fact, it did suppress the vote of legal voters, according to a university study recently, by almost the exact same amount that Trump is said to have won the state in 2016. And longtime listeners may remember uh, when the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals struck down Peterson's ruling in a, uh, a decision, an opinion that was written by this right-wing jurist named Frank Easterbrook. He falsely claimed at the time that a photo ID is needed to board an airplane, so why not for voting? By the way, it isn't required for boarding an airplane, as I uh, detailed back in 2014 when that ruling came out. Um, so I, I have concerns about what may happen still at the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And then, Annalise, there's one more matter uh, in all of this that is still sort of an unknown. There's still the matter of Wisconsin's long gerrymandered state legislature. Uh, that was found to be unconstitutional, uh, an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander uh, with new maps ordered for the state. Thanks, however, to the U.S. Supreme Court last year, that matter was kicked down to the lower court. Uh, kick back down, I should say, to the lower court uh, with similar um, partisan redistricting cases uh, for the U.S. House in, in North Carolina and Maryland. Now North Carolina and Maryland will be heard again at the U.S. Supreme Court, but I haven't heard anything about Wisconsin. Do you have any uh, sense of the status of the redistricting challenge in Wisconsin? And, and might we see new maps in the state before 2020? So this unbalanced, uh, you know, state assembly doesn't occur again after that? Well, the one thing I do know about um, the case um, on regards to Wisconsin's gerrymandered districts um, is that there are incredible, incredible people who are working on that, incredible partners of ours. And we know that the state's um, attorneys, the Republican attorneys, um, have asked that... um, that the Wisconsin case not move forward yet. Um, they are interested in seeing the Supreme Court rule on other states mm-hmm. before they make a ruling um, in re- in regards to Wisconsin. So we're kind of in a holding pattern um, here. You know, we can hope um, that something gets resolved, you know, before our next set of um, elections. But the team that is, is working on the, the gerrymandering case here in Wisconsin is you know, much like how we're committed to, you know, this this voting rights cause, Mm -hmm. you know, they're equally committed um, and are working very hard to make sure that, you know, this is something that is heard um, and that, you know, people actually get to choose their representatives um, and not the other way around. Yeah, and unfortunately, if we have to uh, rely on this particular stolen U.S. Supreme Court, I have uh, many concerns about how uh, how things may work out when it comes to that redistricting. Uh, Annalise, uh, one more uh, piece of good news uh, before you go. You got yet another uh, happy ruling from the courts today. One Wisconsin uh, Institute did uh, concerning Twitter. And this is something we've talked about on this show. I've been blocked myself by various public officials around the country. Uh, this uh, There was a court case against Donald Trump where the federal courts found that he was violating the First Amendment by blocking certain people from reading his Twitter feed. You guys got a, uh, a, a, a similar ruling uh, to Today, in uh, was this a federal court uh, concerning blocking of uh, of I guess you guys? One Wisconsin now was actually blocked by a number of members of the uh, state assembly in Wisconsin. 
Yes, uh, we were. We were um, blocked by um, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss and the chair of our budget writing committee, uh, Representative Nigren. Um, and, uh, you know, they were using these Twitter accounts as extensions of their office um, and were tweeting about things that were relevant to our government and relevant to the things happening, uh, and they blocked us. And um, we and our incredible team of lawyers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sued them, and a federal judge agreed today that they were violating our First Amendment rights. Um, so this is a, a big, big victory for open, transparent, and accountable government. Um, the fact that elected officials cannot exclude people from public forums uh, just because they don't agree with political views or don't want to hear what they might have to say um, is is a huge victory. Um, so we're incredibly happy about this. Um, you know, two wins in two days for us mm-hmm. in federal court uh, is 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 you know a great way to end our week here at one, uh, one Wisconsin now. <laughs> yes. Well, in, enjoy it. Enjoy the victory because uh, I suspect there's a lot of fights ahead. Annalise Eicher. Program and Development Director at uh, the partner organizations One Wisconsin Now and One Wisconsin Institute, uh, which is a nonpartisan progressive research and education organization. Annalise works on fighting the trillion-dollar student loan debt crisis there and, of course, on protecting the right to vote. Congratulations, uh, Annalise, and uh, once again, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. You bet. You can find them online at onewisconsinnow.org and on the Twitters at onewisconsinnow, where they probably won't block you. Uh, As we often like to remind you, yeah, elections matter, and we are beginning to see some of their consequences, uh, not just in Wisconsin, but also in Michigan this week. Michigan's new Democratic Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, announced on Thursday that she wants to settle a federal lawsuit that challenged the state's legislative boundaries, which could force a redrawing of the state's political map before the 2020 elections, at least in Michigan. Benson, again a Democrat, filed a brief in federal court agreeing to a delay in a trial that was set to begin in U.S. District Court in Detroit in, uh, in early February. Mark Brewer, the former chair of the Michigan Democratic Party, had filed that case on behalf of the League of Women Voters in December of 2017, charging uh, that new methods of analyzing the fairness of legislative maps proved, in fact, that Michigan's districts are among the most skewed toward Republicans in the nation. That's a close fight with other states like Wisconsin and a few others around the country. But, um, yeah, the uh, the defendant in the case had been former Secretary of State Ruth Johnson. She was a Republican. With Benson's election now in November, the office switched parties for the first time since 1994. And the new Democratic Secretary of State is now hoping to settle this issue rather than fight it with uh, taxpayer dollars in court. Benson uh, said in a press release that it is, quote, clear the court has found significant evidence of partisan gerrymandering and the likely outcome would not be favorable to state to the state. It's therefore my responsibility to ensure a fair and equitable resolution for the citizens of Michigan that would save taxpayer money and ensure fair representation. 
there's still questions about how that settlement would would play out. Um, but it might involve all 14 congressional districts and more than 30 state Senate districts in the state of Michigan in advance of the 2020 election. It's unclear who would draw the lines, uh, as uh, reported by Bridge, this uh, nonprofit news source in Michigan. The task could fall to the, yes, GOP gerrymandered Michigan legislature, but it's still controlled by Republicans. But Brewer, the secretary of state and Benson, the uh, uh, plaintiff here and a three judge panel presiding over this case would all have to agree to the new map. So there could be, as Benson said, uh, uh, hoped to find a compromise in this uh, in this case. The uh, Republicans on Friday in Michigan accused Benson of pursuing a secret consent decree to draw new district lines designed to benefit Democratic candidates. Uh, But all of this would be public. So um, we will see if this moves forward. And it should in Michigan, as well as Wisconsin. In Michigan, uh, last November, voters backed a proposal that would turn the 2021 redistricting effort Uh, after the 2020 census over to a citizen redistricting commission rather than partisans in the legislature. Uh, That will be a good idea. The state uh, state voters are in favor of it. So why do we have to go through one more election in 2020 before that can happen? Um, Republicans have held both of the chambers of the legislature for most of the last 20 years, despite almost never getting 50 percent of uh, of the votes. They had a nine to five edge in the state's U.S. congressional delegation for several cycles. Uh, finally, Democrats gained two seats last November. So it's a split delegation now, seven, seven to seven, even while uh, Democrats receive far more votes than uh, than Republicans. And in the case itself uh, that the new secretary of state hopes to settle, um, There were troves of emails showing that Republicans worked with party consultants to specifically draw these districts to favor Republicans at the expense of Democrats. In some of the emails, Republicans discussed drawing districts to, quote, give the finger to former Democratic Congressman Sander Levin and, quote, cram all the Dem garbage. This is what this was in the emails uh, in four districts. Uh, so that Republicans could then control more districts statewide. Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty blatant right there. P- pretty bl- blatant evidence of partisan gerrymandering. It, it's blatant. It's partisan. But that may not be un, uh, illegal. That may not be unconstitutional. And that's depending what the upon how the Supreme Court, Supreme Court decides, the yeah. stolen Supreme Court yep. decides it. And, you know, this is something that you have pointed out repeatedly over the years, which is how important the states are in protecting and preserving democracy. I mean, Wisconsin and the victories that one Wisconsin now has achieved. I mean, that's that's a model of action and how hard you have to fight. But it's also a warning because, you know, once you you lose your state to a Republican-dominated legislature, it is really, really, really hard to get your rights back. And uh, depending on how the Supreme Court decides, uh, it could stay that way for a very long time. All right. Well, you know what? Let's take a quick break here and come back with... uh 
Well, something a little happier, something maybe a little cheerier and funnier to get us out oh, good. of the show. We could all use it. That's right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. As the uh, federal government shutdown continues now, heading towards a month, Donald Trump says he's got some big, important announcement on Saturday about it uh, as he demands his wall, $5.7 billion for his wall, and uh, as he hopes to distract from the uh, big blockbuster report at BuzzFeed, which, of course, the White House describes as fake news. Well, here's some actual fake news for you. <laughs> uh, a little happier, though, because it ends with a song. Here is uh, Randy Rainbow. Haven't heard him in a while. And his all-new, well, interview with the vice president and song. I'm here now with vice president of the United States and RuPaul's Drag Race season three finalist, Mike Pence. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. (laughs) Mr. Vice President, we are currently in the midst of the longest government shutdown in history as the president continues to fight for his border wall. It was a wall, and then it was... um, a fence, I think, and then uh, it was uh, steel slats. So I don't. What are we calling it today? Two folding chairs and a bike lock. <laughs> the president said we'll build a steel barrier. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to critics speculating that Donald Trump's actions are selfish, immoral, impulsive, and politically motivated? Well, look, the American people aren't as concerned about the political debate as they are concerned about what's really happening at the border. Well, is it really as bad as he says? Last year alone, 17,000 individuals with criminal histories were apprehended at our southern border. Why not hire them as senior White House officials? They'll all be convicted eventually. <laughs> Democrats refuse to even negotiate. Well, until this gets sorted out, hundreds of thousands of federal workers will go without paychecks, and he doesn't seem to care. That's right. I guess, why should he, though, right? I mean, after all, he's got money in the bank, he's got spray tan on his face, he's got baseless facts and figures, which he figures please his base, he's got golf at Mar-a-Lago and a ton of Adderall, what ain't he got? A border wall. That's right. He gets angry, he gets tough, he gets up and leaves the room. He gets all the Egg McMuffins he can humanly consume. He's a toddler and until he gets his way, he'll make a fuss. And who's gonna pay? Most likely us. That's right. Whether it's a concrete wall, steel slats, or a few decorative brass poles. There is nothing like an unnecessary 2,000 mile barrier that says, Hey, look at us world, we're a bunch of See what I did there. There is nothing like a wall. Nothing in the world. Nothing's as impractical as a beautiful 
gets badgered, he gets booed, he gets heckled coast to coast. He gets valentines from Putin and advice from Hitler's ghost. He gets labeled irresponsible, inhuman, and unfit. What can't he get? Girl, he can't get sh- <laughs> When it comes to behaving like a rational adult, he finds nothing duller. There is nothing whatsoever like a totally manufactured national emergency to distract everyone from what's actually on his mind, which is, you guessed it, Robert Mueller. I just love the way it feels in my mouth. There is nothing like a war. Could distract from Mike and Paul. Life is rhetoric on a wall. Stop the criminal gangs. Nothing else would be so tall. That's right. Sarah, Donald Trump told us that Mexico would pay for the wall, but now he's saying he never meant they would pay up front and that they'll instead pay in 263 million easy installments of 1995. <laughs> you, you know, we'll see what happens, but the president is committed to making sure that one way or another, whether it's through... He holds rallies just for fun. He has merchandise for sale. He gets only the best people till they quit or go to jail. He's got Rudy Giuliani. He's got high cholesterol. What ain't he got? A goddamn wall. <laughs> there is nothing like a wall. This is a humanitarian crisis. Nothing protects like a wall. Mexico's gonna pay for the war. Or deflects like a wall. A fide emergency. Donald Trump has to build the wall. Build the wall. Except maybe Melania. And the Russia investigation. going to pay for the wall yeah no i don't think they are uh <laughs> that is randy rainbow we will link to the uh, video which is even funnier oh yes gotta get out my thanks to our producer desi doyan to my guest today annalise eicher of one wisconsin now and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us if you missed any portion of today's show download it anytime for free at bradblog.com drop me email i am bradcast at bradblog.com on the facebooks and the twitters i am the brad blog and my thanks to those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us in business. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.